guys, welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We are up to episode 87 of the podcast, and we've got an international guest on today in none other than Josh Childress. Now, Josh, he just recently finished playing in the NBL. He's had a stint with the Adelaide 36ers, but if you ask any good sort of commentator around the NBL and basketball in Australia, Josh is considered as maybe the greatest import to ever come to Australia, maybe the greatest player to ever come to Australia. His basketball career speaks for itself. He, you know, from the streets of Compton, he rose to the heights of the NBA with the likes of Atlanta, Phoenix, Brooklyn, and New Orleans. He also was a bit of a trendsetter with his stint in Europe for Olympiakos, while also he's well-remembered for his MVP career at the Sydney Kings. So, you know, he's just a great basketball player. He actually does a lot off the, the basketball court, both in business and also in the community. So he's got a great story. Like I said, it all started in Compton, and to see the, the heights that actually Josh did reach is quite amazing. He was drafted in round one, pick number six, a few years ago by the Atlanta Hawks, and you know he had a tremendous NBA career, then back to Europe and all the way around the world. So really grateful for Josh coming on the show. Just a big shout out to everyone tuning in today, whether it's your first time here or you're a regular listener. If you haven't yet, please subscribe for free via iTunes, Overcast, or Stitcher, or I've got it all online for you at www.talkingwithtk.com. So jump on the website, have a look around. It's got all the different show notes and episode guides, as well as a player for every single episode, so you won't miss a thing. Please go back and look through the back catalogue of episodes. If you're only a new listener, you know we've had legends such as Pat Cash, Robbie Madison, Paul Harrigan, Mark Ocalupo, Merv Hughes, David Campisi, Elise Perry, the list goes on. So please, I'm always, you know, I'm always grateful for you guys tuning in. Please get in touch. You can connect with me on Facebook or Twitter. I'm at Talking with TK. Tristan Nell is my Instagram, or please send through to my direct email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. I'd love to hear from you, even if you just want to have a yarn or have any guest requests. Please send them through, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. If I can ask just one thing, if you could share it with your family and friends, let them know about the show and it'll just help me continue to grow it as well as leaving a review in iTunes if you do have access. So please, just those two little things that I do ask, if you can continually tell people about the show, especially if you're enjoying it and leave a review in iTunes if you haven't yet, really helps me just continue to grow the show. So guys, yeah, like I said, really, really appreciate that. All right, guys, let's get straight to it, and I introduce Josh Childress. All right, guys, my special guest today is Josh Childress. Josh is a professional basketball player with his distinguished career, taking him to the heights of the NBA with Atlanta, Phoenix, Brooklyn, and New Orleans, and also a stint in Europe with Olympiakos. He also played down under at the Sydney Kings and Adelaide 36ers, and I'm pleased to get him on the podcast. Welcome, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Man, first thing I just want to touch on just a little bit, I'm not sure if you've heard the news yet, but Andrew Bogut's actually signed with the Sydney Kings. Have you heard about that? I have. You know, it's been uh, been blasted all over social media, so it's uh, definitely an exciting time for the league. I think that, uh, you know, to be able to get 
uh, you know, a guy who's played in the NBA for for that many years, you know, who was Australian, you know, to to come back home and, and finish his career, um, you know, with the Sydney Kings is, is uh, definitely an awesome uh, feat for the league and also for the, the fans in Sydney and around the NBL. Yeah, Josh, you've been in a position where you've gone from the NBA to the NBL. In terms of comparison and maybe the the good points and the bad points, what are they for a you know for a player coming back to the NBL? Uh, I mean, I think that the you know the the good points you know is that the league is competitive you know and and uh, you know you're going to go out there and, and, and compete at a high level against um, some very talented players. Um, you know, I came in in a year where the league was, you know, wasn't super solidified in terms of, uh, you know, ownership and, and, and all that stuff. But, um, you know, the league is definitely growing. And, you know, uh, the numbers last year, I think, were the best that they've been in a really long time in terms of uh, fan engagement, attendance and all those things. So, um, you know, him stepping into that that opportunity uh, would be great uh, because he's he's uh, experiencing you know, um, what I think the league is capable of. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a cool time, I think, for, for Australian basketball fans. Any potential you're going to be back, Josh? Um, you know, I'm in discussion with, you know, with a few teams, but, um, you know, who knows? Yeah. I don't know what will happen. Uh, I am enjoying being back home. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, weigh that, weigh those options out over the next, uh, a few months. Yeah, you know, your first stint with in the NBL with the Sydney Kings. Obviously, there was a lot of expectations given your profile. With Andrew coming back as well, what was? Did you feel like as an import that there was a little bit more pressure and expectations given your profile? Absolutely, but I think that that's just the case of, of being an import in any league. Um, you know, you're expected to to perform at a high level, and and um, you know. I'm not going to say there isn't the same leniency, but you know we're we're usually quicker to to get uh, you know get removed from teams. So yeah, sure. um, you know to come over and and perform is a necessity uh, as an import. And I think that um, you know with Andrew, although he, he you know he is a very high profile player, and you know having won NBA championship and you know playing for some really good teams. Um, I don't know what his expectation is, um, and I don't know what the coaching staff is placing on him, but um, I know that uh, you know he'll be expected to impact uh, you know the Kings in a positive way, uh, both on and off the court, and um, you know I think that he's very much capable of doing that. Obviously, he's a uh, you know an Australian national team player, so you know the fans are very very much uh, aware of him as a person and as a player. Um, you know, and, you know, he'll just look to impact them in a positive way. Maybe it's not, you know, scoring 20 a night, but, you know, maybe it's, you know, being the anchor, uh, you know, in the paint or, um, you know, just bringing a championship mentality to, to the Sydney Kings. Yeah, for sure. You know, with Andrew coming back, he's going to be a 10% owner now in the Sydney Kings as well. In terms of, you know, even yourself in the back end of your career and helping other leagues grow, is that something, because I know you're very into your entrepreneurship and business, is that something mm-hmm. that you guys, especially you high-profile guys, are going to kind of keep now in your back pocket, maybe ownership to try and build something? Absolutely. You know, I think that that's, that's very important, um, you know, to try and, you know, just uh, shift from the, the, the court to the boardroom, if you will. Um, 
you know, I was, I was in discussions, um, uh, and was pretty far down the track to be part owner of an NBL team this year. Mm. Um, and just due to the conflict of interest, uh, with me playing, uh, I wasn't able to do that. Uh, but, you know, looking to move forward, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely something that, um, you know, many guys, I think, enjoy, you know, because, um, you know, we've had conversations with our ownership and, and um, you know, the, most of the time they're, they're very successful individuals. And, um, you know, we want to uh, not only um, follow in their footsteps, but also be able to, um, you know, kind of get a seat at the table with them and, and, and learn from them from a business perspective and what have you. So, um, you know, it raises your profile uh, as a uh, as an investor and as a player uh, and as a person. And, and I think that, you know, it's important to, uh, you know, grow and, and make those strides uh, when you're, um, you know, towards the tail end of your career. Yeah, for sure. What about with the big three now? Are you guys, because I know the concept was created by Ice Cube and things like that, but in terms of you guys on teams, are you guys part owners in that team as well? So the captains and co-captains are actually part owners of the league. Oh, fantastic. Um, so not yet, not specific teams, but the league. And, um, you know, it's just a great platform for us to, like, like I talk about, just, you know, start, um, you know, taking ownership in the things that we're involved in. Uh, you know, that model, you know, came from the fact that, you know, many of the, the, the coaches in the big three, uh, you know, are players who, you know, help make the NBA what it is today. And, you know, these same players, the George Gervins, the Dr. J's, you know, Rick Barry, uh, you know, Gary Payton and what have you, um, you know, don't share in the same success that uh, a lot of the players do now. You know, they, mm-hmm. they played when, you know, the contracts weren't what they are now. Uh, and so, you know, we just thought that it would be cool to be able to, you know, get an ownership piece in something that we're starting in hopes of it getting, you know, to the same level that the NBA is at some point. So, um, you know, it's, it's just the nature, I think, of, of professional athletes right now is just trying to uh, not only, you know, perform well off the court, on the court, but but also off, you yeah. know, and, and start to, to, to gain ownership in things. Josh, what's the niche market for the crowds? I'm the same age as you, and, you know, we were chatting before about, the you know the rosters across the board and you know all the guys pretty much were pretty much at their peak as you were back when you started mm-hmm. with Atlanta. But is kind of like our age and is it like a thirty-five to fifty crowd? Is that what you guys are attracting at the moment? Yeah, um, and kids. Yep. You know, so you have your your you know mid thirties to early forties dad who wants to show his son the you know, the guy that he used to grow up watching, yeah, you know, okay. and so we're getting a lot of those family, family things as well. And, you know, you get a, a bit of a younger crowd too with, um, you know, kids who, you know, were massive NBA fans when, you know, when we were, like you said, at our prime. So, um, you know, Alan Iverson obviously was a big draw and, and Chauncey Billups and, um, you know, you're starting to, to get a, a bunch of those, those fans, you know, that are just wanting to, know what's going on with their old favorite player. And it's just been a great, great uh, platform and a, I think a great experience for us to be able to play at home again. You know, some of the guys in the big three, you know, are still playing abroad like myself. 
um, you know, and haven't had a chance to play in front of our, our family and friends in a while. You know, and that in itself is, is also pretty cool. Yeah. Josh, how does a game day work? Is it kind of, is it double headers back to back? Where And where do you guys play in terms of venues? Yeah. Um, so the, the game schedule is usually, there's two games back to back, first 50 points. Mm-hmm. And then the, what Ice Cube has done, and this is just him being, you know, from the music industry, is he'll then put a concert or a little mini show in the middle. Okay. Um, so, you know, when we played in L.A., Snoop Dogg came out and performed. When we played <laughs> in, uh, in New York, um, uh, I think it was Fat Joe performed. And, you know, you, you every city, you know, was someone different, um, which was really cool. You know, and it, it, it provides the fans the opportunity not only to see some basketball, but also to potentially see one of their favorite artists, you know, get out there and, and, and rock the house. So um, we're playing in NBA venues, uh, Staples Center, Barclays Arena. Um, you know, I forget the name of the arena that the, uh, the Rockets play in. We're playing at Oracle uh, this year where the Warriors play. Warriors, yep. So every uh, every arena that we're in, is uh is an nba arena there was one university that we played at last year but uh or two actually but for the most part it's all of the nba arenas um you know which is um you know obviously shows how how serious um you know the league is and and how how good the crowds have been yeah what's it like in terms of traveling with the other boys i know that you know you guys are still you know, very highly competitive, but I'm just assuming it's not the same as when you guys were playing neck and neck at the NBA. Is it, is it good to come back to a vibe where you guys can still chill out together without the worry of having to win an NBA championship? No, it's very competitive. I, I wish I could tell you that it wasn't. <laughs> um, you know, when, when, when guys are on the court, it, it's serious. And, um, you know, after, after the game and all that stuff, then everybody's hanging out and having a good time. Uh, but, you know, once everybody steps on that court, it's, you know, uh, I'm not sure if, if you know the, the other side of it. So there's a portion of the league revenue, um, about 50% actually, that then gets broken up into, um, pieces based on how you finish. Okay. So, um, you know, if you finish first, you know, you're, you're getting, let's say 40% of that 50% chunk of money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so guys are you know, going after it, you know, and and it's a, it's a, you know, a pride thing as well, you know, and, and like I said, um, you know, people are playing in front of their home, hometown family and friends. Uh, and you know, there are individuals that out there trying to embarrass each other, you know, and so you have to lock in and, and be ready to go from the, from the jump. Yeah. Given there's only three players on the court, like your versatility, it must, well, for you, because you're so versatile on the court, you know, one, one minute you could be guarding a point guard and then you're going against the center. Is that the most mm-hmm. difficult part of actually playing three-on-three? Three? Oh, man, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, last year I I was matched up with my, my good buddy Al Harrington. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Al is uh, probably a solid 30 kilos heavier than I am, and uh, it was <laughs> definitely uh, difficult to, to match up with him, but you know, that's just the nature of the game. It's it's uh, uh, it's about matchups. It's about you know quick hitting and, and creating those mismatches, uh, and that's why the, you know his team trilogy was so successful last year. Is um, you know Al is big big enough to to guard you know big guys, but also you know fast enough to to play on the perimeter. 
um, you know, and he just made it very difficult for teams to match up with him, um, you know, throughout the season. Yeah. Big Al, I saw him on your Instagram the other day. Are you guys doing some business, medical cannabis or something? We are. We are. We're in the medical uh, cannabis space. Um, you know, Al started a company about five years ago, um, and I recently uh, became involved in that company. But, um, you know, it's not it's not as big in Australia as it is here, but... Mm. Uh, you know, I firmly believe in the uh, medicinal properties of, of the cannabis uh, plant. I actually don't smoke, but I uh, I still believe in the in the medicinal qualities, and I think that um, you know it's a great alternative to <clears throat> some of the the synthetic um, uh, medicines that we you know are pushed to uh, and given given by uh, by doctors. So um, you know. That's why I got involved. Um, you know, Al has his own story, and you know he's now, um, you know, not having to take a pain pill every day, which he had to take for the, you know, duration, a large portion of his NBA career. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a, I think a, a really cool um, space to be in at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting space because I'm a stockbroker by trade, and I've been following a couple of stocks here that are listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. And as you mentioned, obviously in America, medical cannabis is a lot, you know, it's, it's a lot bigger than it is here in Australia. But it is very interesting to see how well some of these stocks are actually going in Australia. I'll, I'll flick you a couple of the the stocks that I'm following. I'm sure that you'll you'll get a lot out of it. Mm, yeah, I would love that. Yeah, just uh, Josh, just back to your origins and you know where you grew up in in LA. How far far away from Compton did you grow up? Uh, I'm pretty much in Compton. Yeah. Um, I mean, technically, my my mailing address was Los Angeles, but um, you know, I could walk uh, across the street and it's it's Compton. So um, I was there. Um, I didn't end up going to school in this in the area that I uh, grew up in. Uh, my mom worked about 20 minutes outside of of that area so we went to school near her job uh but you know uh it was definitely an interesting place to grow up you know I, i've seen uh you know a lot of good and bad in the neighborhood uh and you know i've been fortunate enough to you know have also seen the world you know having having gotten gotten out of there but uh you know it's uh just a, a you know, everybody thinks of, of Compton as, you know, gangster's paradise. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just, just this place where, you know, every every day there's a drive-by, you know, and it has those parts. Uh, but, you know, just like anywhere in the world, you know, you have your quiet areas of rough neighborhoods, just like you have, um, uh, you know, your rough neighborhoods with not-so-quiet areas. And I think that, you know, I grew up on a, uh, a street that, you know, was more so uh, families um, and and older uh, older individuals. So you know, my my street that I lived on was pretty quiet. Yeah, you do a lot of basketball camps for the community now, don't you? Uh, I did. I, I haven't done one in a little while because I just haven't been around. Yeah, of course. To do one, uh, but um, yeah, I, I would like to get that started back up uh, because I just think it's important to get back into the community and and uh, and give back. What what you know going back there now is has the area changed dramatically from the time when you grew up? Uh, to an extent, I mean, I think there's there's um, a lot less hanging out. 
Yep. You know, uh, you know, we always joke about this, and you know, I'm not. My older brothers have experienced this more than I have, but um, you know, back then, you know, we went outside and played, and we, you know, went to the park, and we, you know, just were active outdoors. Um, and you know, now, you know, my my nieces and nephews play Xbox all day, <laughs> and you know, and are on. Uh, their iPads or their phones, you know, flicking through Instagram, you know, and so uh, I think that there's just less uh, interaction between people, you know, not as many people go and hang out at the park anymore. Um, so in that regard, it is different. But, um, you know, I haven't been back there in probably a year or so. So, you know, I don't know what's changed in that time. Yeah. In terms of finding basketball, you've got what, two older brothers, three older brothers. Two older brothers. Yeah, it, it was through following them into the park that, you know, the love for basketball started, wasn't it? Correct, correct. So, you know, um, I have two older brothers from, you know, same parents. My 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 dad had, was married previously, you know, and there are some siblings there. But um, in the same household, there were two that, um, you know, just I used to just sit there and watch play. And then eventually they allowed me to come on the court and, um, you know, I – that's just kind of how it started. But, you know, I, I always wanted to be like my older brothers, just like I'm sure most kids <clears throat> do. And, uh, you know, I just sit and watch and and enjoy uh, making fun of them and, and learning from them. And, you know, just the whole big brother, little brother uh, relationship, you know, that, that goes along with it. Yeah, for sure. I remember my old brother picking on me. But when, <laughs> when was the first time that, you know, you might have grown or something like that and you finally kind of started dominating them back and they started noticing you? How old were you then? <laughs> uh, shoot, I, I wish I knew that exact time, but it was when I was in high school, okay. probably, um, for, probably 15 or 16 years old. Um, I was always still pretty light. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't a heavy kid, but, um, from a skills perspective, um, you know, I started to turn a corner and then they, they couldn't keep up. <laughs> Did they give you your props straight away? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many excuses to be made and, you know, they had to get to work and they had to this and that, and, you know, it, it, they, I, I can't say I ever actually received the props from them because they, <laughs> they never wanted to give them. Josh, do you remember the first time that you dunked? I do. And somebody asked me this same question the other day. So it was my first game of my high school high school career. Uh, so I was yeah, 15, 14 or 15 years old. And uh, early in the game, I just got an opportunity. And I don't even know if I really knew what I was doing. I just went up and dunked it. And, um, you know, I was just in the zone for the rest of the game. I think I, I may have finished with 30 or something. Um, you know, but I was – I was a freshman playing on varsity, and I know you guys in Australia don't have the same, um, you know, system that we yeah. have in terms of, of games. But uh, you know, the varsity is the top level that you can play at in high school, uh, and yeah, that was just kind of like my introduction to high school basketball, and it was uh, obviously a great introduction. And um, I w went on to have a pretty, uh, pretty good career in, in high school. Yeah, back in the day, were you a shooting guard, small forward, or did you play a different position? So I was, yeah, two, three um, on offense, and then defensively I was a five just because I was our tallest player. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I firmly believe that, you know, over the years that actually helped me uh, because 
you know, I always had to rebound, you know, and I, I feel like that's always been a strong suit of mine is, <clears throat> is being a rebounding guard, a rebounding wing, uh, you know, and so I'm thankful for that opportunity that I was able to, you know, have to have to go in and, and you know, clean up the glass a bit. Mm. Josh, talk to me a little bit about work ethic because I've, I've heard you on a couple other podcasts talking about, you know, the impact of your mum and your mum working night shift and then having to take your boys to school, do all the work mm-hmm. at home, then do it all again. How much of an impact was that on you? Yeah, a massive impact, man. And, and, you know, she worked incredibly hard, um, you know, to, to provide for us and to, you know, set an example for us, you know. <laughs> and I think that, you know, over the years, whether I realize it or not, um, you know, that sort of stuff, you know, it it becomes a part of you, you yeah. know, and, and you want to make sure that, you know, you're giving, you know, your yourself to your craft, you know, and working diligently at whatever it is that you do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very appreciative of, of my mother and, and, you know, the sacrifices that she made. Uh, and I, I try and let her know that as, as often as I can, just because, you know, she's uh, such a, a massive part of my life. Definitely. You just became a father last year as well, didn't you? Mm-hmm. How's fatherhood treating yes, you? Uh, <laughs> it is good. I'm enjoying it. Little girl, uh, little girl, fantastic. Maya. And it's been uh, it's been amazing, man. Just to to watch her grow and and um, develop. And you know, she's uh, almost to the point where she's she's about to walk now, and and she's you know trying to say a few words here and there, and um, you know, it, it it definitely put things in perspective for me. You know, I mean, this this season when I was in Adelaide, and she wasn't able to be there with me the whole season. She came and visited some, but um, you know, when I had a bad game or bad day of practice or whatever it may be, you know, uh, either you know I'd hop on Facetime or yeah, you know, I'd look at some pictures or, or what have you, and it just it just made me understand that you know my life is now bigger than the stat sheet, you know, and. Uh, it's just a great feeling, you know, to be able to, to look at this little tiny human being and, and realize that, I mean, not only that you have to, you know, care for and nurture it, but, but also, you know, that, you know, she's just a spitting image of you. And, and, um, I don't know, it's just, I can talk for days about it, but, yeah. um, it's just a, it's an awesome thing. Do you have kids? No, I don't have kids, but a, okay. a lot of my All good right. mates have kids and they speak okay. the exact same way. And Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, just a quick break in today's episode. If it's your first time here, please go through the back catalogue of episodes. If you're a basketball fan, I'm sure that you'll enjoy the episodes with the likes of Shane Hill, Leroy Loggins, and Sydney Kings captain Kevin Lish. If you love your legends, the likes of Pat Cash, Robbie Madison, Paul Harrigan, Michael Cabalupo, Merv Hughes, David Campisi, Elise Perry, the list goes on across many, many sports. So please subscribe to the show. You can do that via iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your, your podcasts. Or please jump online at www.talkingwithtk.com. You can easily subscribe through there. It's all free. If you want to get in touch with me, please send me an email, tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Love to hear your suggestions or, yeah, suggestions or guest requests for future episodes. All right, guys, let's get back to our chat with Josh. What about on, you know, on reflection, Josh, you know, on the, you know, back in the day on the road for the NBA, you know, spent half 
half the year pretty much on the road. You know, we just talked mm-hmm. about having a kid. Do you think that would have made it harder or easier having a kid back then? I think it would have uh, made it more difficult. I mean, the only issue... Actually, no. It would have been easier because I'm still in the States, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so even though the schedule is pretty hectic, you know, the the season you know, six to seven months and, you know, you spend, let's say half of that at home. So, um, you know, there is a portion of it that you're gone, but, you know, you're always back home, you know, eventually. I think the the longest road trip I ever was on was two weeks. Um, so, you know, while it is difficult, you know, it is definitely more difficult being abroad. Yeah, for sure. Just taking back to your high school career just quickly, Josh, you know, you went to, you ended up going to Stanford as a university, when they put up mm-hmm. an offer, you know, you talked about being the kid from Compton. Like, Stanford's one of the biggest schools in America. How did that make you feel when, you know, one of the biggest universities in the world wanted you? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, once again, there is just a difference in, in our, you know, how college happens for us versus, you know, Australians. Yeah. Um, and the recruiting process in itself is a whirlwind. Um, you know, I went to this thing called Nike All American Camp. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen it. And um, through that camp, I mean, you're you're playing in front of every school in the country. Uh, I mean, you name it. You know, down from Carolina to Duke to you know, you name it. Every every top college coach is there, um, watching and scouting. And so. You know, through over the course of my four years, you know, I slowly but surely just became, um, you know, a better and better prospect. And, um, you know, throughout the recruiting process, I never had a dream school, you know. And so I was just, you know, enjoying the process, enjoying speaking to these coaches. You know, a lot of these these teams I had watched when I was growing up. I watched these coaches coach. and, And so, you know. Once it came down for me to make a decision, uh, a lot of people don't know this, um, I was heavily leaning towards going to North Carolina. And um, Was that a Jordan uh, thing? No. <laughs> you would think so. No. It's just, it's the, the, <laughs> just the the a program. Of, you yeah. know, North Carolina, you know. And, and um, you know, it's just a, an, an awesome basketball school. And during that process, they ended up making a coaching change. And... Um, there was myself and another um, small forward who was uh, who were considered, you know, the top small forwards in the country, um, a guy named Jawad Williams. And uh, the new coaching staff basically came in and signed Jawad immediately. And so then that kind of reshifted my focus uh, and uh, went on a few other visits. Uh, I visited Arizona. I'm sorry, this is a long-winded answer. That's but all right. Just, no, no, I go for it. I go for it. Uh, I uh, went to uh, went and visited Arizona, uh, visited uh, Kansas, I uh, visited uh, um, Stanford, obviously UCLA, uh, you know, a few other schools. And um, Stanford, it was more about the fit. It wasn't about the university. It wasn't about the prestige of that. It was just I really got along with my teammates there. And um, you know, <clears throat> I was told by other players that you know you spend a large chunk of time with your teammates. You know, uh, and so I made the decision based on how much I enjoy being around those guys. And, you know, it was obviously a great, you know, decision from a university perspective, but that was a selling point, And that's that's the reason why I went. 
Yeah. How were you, like, academically on that, on when you first went there? Uh, I struggled a bit. I struggled a bit, and, and not necessarily from the fact that I wasn't smart enough. It was just, um, you know, it was a little bit overwhelming. You know, you go from being probably, you know, one of the, uh, you know, most intelligent kids or most um, driven kids in, in your high school to then being one of 8,000 of those kids, you yeah, know. Okay. And, um, you know, I tell people this all the time, you know, there are many, many times where I felt like I wrote an A paper, you know, or, uh, you know, had a really good, you know, project or whatever. Um, but just due to the fact that, you know, there are some geniuses in my <laughs> you know, my A paper becomes a C paper or yeah, a B okay. paper, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, that was uh, definitely a, an adjustment period. But, you know, I got through it. And, um, you know, the, the coaching staff there, Coach Montgomery, uh, you know, they made – the uh, players go to study hall for your first uh, quarter. And then after that, you were on your own, you know, and so you had to kind of sink or swim, as they call it. And, and uh, you know, it, it taught a lot about responsibility and time management. And, you know, there was no no uh, babysitting. You know, you had to go out and, and, you know, handle business if you wanted to stay on the court. Yeah. How did you make the decision? Because you went back years later and actually finished your degree, which is, you know, quite quite fitting, and you know, it's probably a huge honor as well. What was made up in that decision? Yeah, I ended up. I took you know a class. Well, so I left my junior year to to get drafted. Um, so I had pretty much we, we're a quarter system uh, at Stanford, and so I had my spring quarter that I'd missed because I was training for the draft, and then my entire senior year. And you know, over the course of my NBA career. You know, I was taking classes that, you know, they allow you to take a certain amount of classes online mm-hmm. uh, and at a local college. And then I had to go and finish about 20 units or maybe a little more, you know, on campus. And, um, you know, uh, once I, I got released from, from Brooklyn, I actually just said, you know what, I'm just going to go back. Um, I have some time. Didn't look like I was going to get picked up anywhere else <clears throat> for the remainder of the season. Um, so I just went back and finished and, uh, it was, a um, difficult to, to kind of get back into it. But at the same time, I, I'm very happy that I did because, um, you know, I think that, uh, not only was it important for me to, to finish just because I, you know, I had started, but also, you know, just, I can, I can say that to younger players. I can say that to my children. I can say that to, you know, anybody that, you know, education is important, and you know, even though a lot of people in my position may not have gone back, I did because I I, I value that and I value, um, you know, what that can do for me in the long run. Yeah. What was your experience as a mature age student? Because I remember, see, for my <laughs> under, for my undergraduate degree, like my parents paid for the course. So as an eighteen-year-old, you don't really put too much effort in. But then I went back as a twenty-eight-year-old and did my MBA, and I was studying uh-huh. every day. Because it was my it was my money and like I was interested in right. business and it was just something that connected with me. Did you kind of get more of a connection when you went back as a mature age student? Absolutely. It was uh, I'm not gonna say it was easy, but it was much easier. Um, you know, my time management was much was much better. I wasn't worried about you know the next frat party or, or <laughs> yeah or uh, you know having to deal with you know deal with the tr- the practice schedule uh, and 
um, you know, just had more life experience. You know, I could draw on things that I'd gone through, you know, over the past, you know, eight to 10 years, you know, prior to going back and finishing. And, um, you know, that, that experience really helped, you know, help with the process of, uh, you know, I, I was able to just get stuff done and, um, yeah, it was just, it was much easier for me. Definitely. Just through, in terms of you developing as a player, you know, I know you, you talked about being a McDonald's All-American and, you know, obviously we spoke about you going to Stanford, but at what point did you realistically think that you could play in the NBA? Uh, man, I, honestly, it was my junior year of college. <laughs> um, you know, I never, I never was one to overhype myself. I always try to keep, you know, realistic um, goals and ambition. And, you know, I mean, almost to a detriment, you know, because, you know, there was a lot of a lot of guys in my position who, you know, thought that they were, you know, NBA bound, you know, out of high school. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, having that mindset was very helpful, you know, for me because it, it kept me on track. But it's also, you know, I, I spoke with I speaking with spoken with many sports psychologists and, you know, just people in sports and, you know, they feel that you know, that sort of mentality can get you to a certain point, you know, and then you have to almost shift your mentality to, you know, I am amazing and awesome and I am one of the best players in the world. Yeah. And, um, you know, because, you know, once you get to the NBA or, you know, in that conversation, <clears throat> then, you know, you have, you don't, you didn't have it as much back then, but the social media aspect, you have, you know, the media and fans and, you know, a lot of people want to just tear you down, you know, and you have to almost put, put an armor around yourself and, and, um, you know, utilize that to get through those rough patches. And, uh, yeah, I know I'm, I'm going off topic a bit, but, uh, the, um, yeah, my junior year of college is when I, when I thought that I had an opportunity that was only because I then had agents, you know, reaching out, you know, trying to represent me. Yeah. I was going to ask you about agents cause Obviously, that's a huge decision. I've read an article that you did with Business Insider, and you're, you're talking about how players can lose their money. Even some players that are on twenty million a year, all of a sudden, that twenty million becomes one million. So, I guess, right. you know, surrounding yourself with the right people is one of the key ingredients. How did you actually choose the correct agent, and what has your experience kind of been like with agents? Yeah, I mean, I, I chose the agent out of college uh, just based on fit. And um, I chose guys that I felt like represented clients that were similar to me and also chose a guy that didn't have too many, <clears throat> too many uh, clients that are in the same position in the same draft. Mm. Um, so during the draft process, I believe, and this is so long ago, I don't remember to, you know, to the T, but I believe I was, you know, one of their only clients, if not maybe two, and I was the only wing. Okay. You know, and so they could focus those efforts on me and not on five other guys. Um, now, in choosing an agent and, you know, I mean, everybody has their own reasons. Um, you know, some is because they had, you know, a relationship with the person already. They've, you know, dealt with them, you know, their family, friends, you know, or, or what have you. Um, and some just go with big firms because they think that, big firms can get things done, you know, and you're seeing that now with, you know, uh, the, the guy who works with, works alongside LeBron, I think it's clutch sports, I believe. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, you know, there's the allure that, you know, this guy can get things done because LeBron is attached and we have, um, you know, a voice, a strong voice with every team because, you know, we can play the LeBron card. And so, um, you know, everybody has their different reasons, but, you know, it's a, it's a crazy business and um, it's the wild, wild west and, and there is no loyalty and, you know, you just have to try and, and, and make your way and, and not get taken advantage of. Yeah, just to get some insights just into the whole draft process, you know, you went very, very high, went round one, pick six with Atlanta, but that, uh-huh. that process leading into the actual draft, like how many teams did you have to work out for? Yeah. So the process itself was uh, pretty pretty physically brutal, pretty taxing. Hmm. Um, for a player like myself, I had a pretty wide range of where I could get picked. And, um, you know, I was projected anywhere from the uh, second pick to the 19th pick, you know, and um, you just didn't know, uh, you know, what team was going to like you and, and all that stuff. I ended up working for nine te- working out for nine teams. Wow. Um, and, you know, those workouts are, are tough. And then they also schedule them kind of, you know, back to back because they want to see if you can handle the rigors of, you know, playing an NBA schedule. So, you know, you're, you're working out and I was working out in, in Charlotte one day and, you know, had to fly to, um, you know, Atlanta the next day and then to, you know, back to LA for the Clippers. And then, you know, and so it was just, it was a, uh, you know, a, a pretty, pretty brutal process but you know it's just the nature of nature yeah. of the beast do they make you, you do you do s- they make you do psych tests and things like that uh they do they do uh most of the time you're just sitting down and speaking with the general managers okay uh but i know of other individuals who um you know may have had some questionable uh situations in their careers with you know getting in trouble with the law or whatever and, you know, I believe that they have had them take psych tests. Okay. And then what about draft day? Because in the movies, you see all these NFL draft days and there's these big parties and things like that. What what was that like for you? Hmm. It was similar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, actually the night before, there are a lot of guys who were out partying. I was, I was too nervous to party. Um, and so I, uh, I had flown... Um, some of my close friends out with me and we were just in, in my hotel room playing uh, Xbox, okay. you know, and just <laughs> hanging out. You know, were, you, were you in LA or did you know? New York. Oh, you were in, oh, you in actually at the, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it was a big sigh of relief after the fact, you know, but, uh, you know, that, that, that night before and the day of, man, it's just, you know, this is, <clears throat> you know, what you've worked so hard for for so many years. You know, and and you know to to hear your name called and walk across that stage and have the opportunity to play, you know, in the NBA. And so it was a um, you know surreal moment for me, and I was incredibly happy. But um, you know, it was stressful for yeah. sure. Josh, how many minutes before Atlanta actually say your name, do you actually find out that they're going to draft you? Uh, maybe a minute. Wow. Um, the the camera crews come over to your table, you know, so they obviously can get the reaction <clears throat> and then the lady walks over with the hat. So, um, yeah, probably I say a minute. So everybody in the, in the arena knows, you know, who's getting picked next. Um, you know, it's a, it's, <laughs> I'm just thinking about it now. <laughs> I just, 
you know, amazed at, at how that all went down and how, how incredible it was. Yeah. Do you still remember your first day at the Hawks? Was it like going to school for the first time? <laughs> I remember my first day because, um, you know, I'd come in and, and one of the coaches said, hey, we're going to work out. And, you know, I'd used to I'd become used to just my independence, you know, and, um, you know, I like to kind of work out by myself. And so I said something like, okay, cool. Well, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to come back later and get some work in. <clears throat> and he's like, no, 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 young fella. I don't think you heard me clearly. <laughs> We're going to work out, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was just one of those, okay, welcome to the NBA moments, you know, where he just put me in my place and let me know that, um, you know, it's, it's time to get to work. Did, you know, when you first got there, you know, you had some great players on that team, like Mike Bibby, Joe Johnson, Al Horford, was there a moment in preseason that one of them maybe torched you on the court and you go, oh, my God, I'm I'm here and I need to step my game up? <laughs> uh, it wasn't them, per se, but it was uh, – I had moments like that. You know, I, I had to uh, I had to chase Reggie Miller around screens. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was just like, man, what am I doing? I don't, I don't know. It was Reggie Miller and uh, Mike Red was another one. And, um, you know, my coach was sitting there yelling at me, you know, telling me that, you know, he couldn't hide me, you know, defensively. And I'm just sitting here just getting blasted by, you know, guys who are just setting these screens, um, you know, and these guys are coming off and, and getting buckets. But, um, you know, you learn, you learn, you know, just, just like anybody else, you know, you, you, you take time to, to learn how to guard certain things and, you know, who and who not to, to leave on the floor. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just a matter of, of, of learning and, and growing as a player. Yeah, was it hard to go from being the star player in college to having to take a role as a six-man? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, it was, it was definitely a challenge, uh, you know, because, um, you know, I'd had a pretty successful, you know, career at Stanford and, you know, you come in and you're not only a rookie, you know, or a young player, but, you know, you have to, um, you know, basically kind of fall into your role, you know. And if you're not performing, then, you know, there's definitely somebody coming in that next year or midseason that's going to, you know, going to gladly step into that role for you. And, and you know, you're, you're on the end of the bench. Um, so, you know, it's there's a, a pressure there that, you know, uh, I don't think many fans understand, um, you know, but uh, you have to perform at a high level or otherwise you're you're gone. Yeah. Was there anyone in particular that helped you learn about kind of controlling ego? Um, I wouldn't say no one in particular. I just, <clears throat> I watched, you know, a lot of guys and I watched them, you know, how they interacted with their teammates. I watched how they interacted on the court with others. Um, you know, I always... Uh, looked up to Tim Duncan. Yep. I just always liked his demeanor uh, and, you know, how he approached the game. And ironically, we had the same agent. So uh, yeah, nice. you know, he was he was an individual that, um, you know, I always just admired for, for you know, how he approached the game and how he handled himself during games. And so I just tried to to be like that, you know, and, and you know, take a business approach and try not to get too high or too low, but you know, just go go play. Yeah, Josh, playing the 2-3, you know, you, in your time, you would have come up, you know, pretty much having to guard against guys like LeBron and also Kobe Bryant. When you have to go against 
someone that is just you know one of the greats, one of the gods of the game. How do you go into a game in terms of approach, in terms of respect level? How does that all fit with with a guy like these two guys? Yeah, I mean, you have to respect everybody in the NBA. You know, not only those guys, uh, because on any given night, somebody could drop thirty on you. You know, um, but your approach to a game against Kobe or LeBron is that they're going to be relentless and they're going to make plays that other guys can't make. Mm. And so, you know, you have to go in and try and, you know, make them make difficult plays, but understand that they're going to make plays, you know, and um, I'd say it's just a different mental approach. You know, one guy that I use as an example, you know, is Kevin Durant. You know, he's one of the, the best scorers in the world, you know, and, you know, your goal is, I know I'm, I'm not going to be able to lock this guy up, mm. but, you know, if he's going to shoot 25 times, <clears throat> you know, if I can make 20 of those or 22 of those contested shots, um, you know, and, you know, I held him to a few points below his average, I did my job, you know, and that, that's how I, I took it. You know, there, there may be some other guys who take it differently, but, you know, it's just about statistics and percentages. And, um, you know, if I can can uh, impact him, you know, and get him to score, you know, a bit less than he usually does and just make it make it difficult, then I've done my job. Yeah. All right, Josh, final thing I want to talk to you about is just leadership. I'm just reading a book right now, and it's called The Captain Class. I'm not sure if you've you've seen that book before. I have not. No, uh, so it's about the 16 greatest teams of all time, and they've just mm-hmm. been put into different categories. For example, I think the Boston Celtics, the run that they did from the 50s and 60s where they won like 10 titles in a row or something like that, they're one of the mm-hmm. teams that make the Tier 1, but then at Tier 2, the Chicago Bulls actually don't make it because of consistency, but Tier 1 San Antonio actually make it because of their consistency over an 18-year period, plus five NBA okay. titles as well. So it's quite an interesting okay. one. But they talk in the book a little bit about how Michael Jordan started actually winning games, and it, it might just be a coincidence, but it was when Bill Cartwright actually got onto the team and he became co-captain with Michael. And that, mm. that took a lot of pressure off Michael in terms of a leadership standpoint and allowed him just to play his natural game. So mm-hmm. just for you, you the, your experience over the years in the NBA, was there anyone that just laid you know, laid a huge impression in terms of leadership. And it doesn't have to be the star player or anything like that, that just really, even today, really resonates with you. Yeah. I mean, I, um, when I think back to it, uh, you know, he was the star player, but I'd say Steve Nash. Okay. And, um, you know, he led by example. You know, he led with his work ethic. Uh, and, you know, he was very professional in his approach to the game. But, also, I really appreciated how he, um, you know, tried to treat every teammate equally and tried to uplift his teammates. <clears throat> you know, and now you have some, some people who, you know, are on the opposite end of the spectrum and think that, you know, you have to be hard on everyone and, and you know, make them kind of sip up to your level. You know, and there's different approaches to, to you know, everybody. There's different ways to skin a cat. But, um, you know, he tried to, in any way he could, you know, uplift and make teammates better um, because he knew that that was the way to be successful. You know, and so when you look at the teams that he was successful on, and although they didn't win a championship, um, 
you know, he was, he was a guy that, you know, made the team go offensively, uh, but also off the court culturally think culturally, you know, with, you know, team dinners and, you know, going to the movies together and, um, uh, spending time, you know, with each other's families and, um, you know, all those things are, yeah. you know, they build culture and they, they build camaraderie and they build, um, you know, just a sense of, of unity. And I, I think that that's what I view a leader to be is someone that can <clears throat> bring a group of people together. Um, may not, you know, be a group of like-minded individuals, may be, you know, people from all different walks of life, but, you know, they can form one common ground, um, and, uh, a common bond and, you know, try and uh, attack that. And, and I think that, you know, Steve was one of the best that I've been around with that. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Josh, I really appreciate you sharing all the different stories and insights into your career today, man. Before I let you go, everyone get following Josh. You can find him on Twitter at Jay Chillin, or you can find him on Instagram at Jay Chillington. Josh, yeah. my man, <laughs> all the best for the big three coming up, and I hope to see you back in Australia sometime soon, too. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you so much, Tristan, and yeah, who knows? Who knows what will happen? Um, but uh, I'll definitely keep you posted. Guys, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please tweet out to either myself or to Josh or both of us. On Twitter, you can find him at Chillen, or you'll find me at Talking with TK. Please tag us on any posts and share it if you loved it with your family and friends. Next week on the show, actually next this Wednesday coming up, Wednesday evening I'll be releasing another episode. We've got NRL player and St. George Illawarra front rower Jeremy Lattimore taking us through his journeyman career. It's, it's a great story, so be on the lookout for that one. We've also recorded with the likes of rugby stars David Lyons, James Horwell, and Tom Carter. Plenty of episodes to come. There's a whole heap of episodes. I'm just in the middle of recording, so stay on the lookout for that. Like I said, please connect with me on Facebook or Twitter. I'm at Talking with TK or Instagram. You'll find me on Tristan Nell or send through any suggestions. Or if you want to have a yarn, just send them through to Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. That's my personal email, so I'll get straight back to you. All right, guys, really enjoyed bringing this one to you. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK. Talking with TK.